Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Jilly Smith, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite food writers. It's about all of life through the prism of food. And this week I'm with one of the main players in the story of modern British food, Michelle Rue Jr. And then I relaxed the jacket rule for gentlemen as well. Um, and uh, my, my dad was in you know, absolute shock horror. He said, you can't do this. This is the end. You know, Gavroche is going to die because of this. I said, no, it isn't. It's going to actually revive and, and rejuvenate. Um, and it did. His Mayfair restaurant, Le Gavroche, is a London legend. And its closure last month, 57 years after his father and uncle, the Rue brothers, changed the game in British food, is a milestone in the way we eat. At 63, he's ready for the next chapter. And he's marking it with his latest book, Michelle Rue, At Home. I asked him how he's feeling. It's been very mixed emotions, um, obviously, because, you know, I've been at the helm there for 35 years, so that's a huge chunk of my life. But very positive as well. And that's, you know, that's that's what I take forward. And uh, it's it's all... Because I planned it way in advance and it's... And and so far, so good. It's all gone to plan and, and it's a real, real sort of finishing on a high. I mean, there's so much that I want to talk to you about, obviously. I want to talk to you about the whole history of, of eating out in Britain and the legacy of Le Gavroche and, and what it has taught us. But let's start by talking about the book. Let's start talking about now. I mean, it's called Michelle Rue at Home. What does that mean? Is, does it just literally mean not in Le Gavroche? It's not about posh food. It's not about fancy French food. It's about me and Giselle. What, what to you is at home about? It's exactly that, as you've described it. Um, it's uh, uh, Michel Roux at home, what I cook at home, what we eat at home, Giselle and I and, and the you know family. Um, it, it's good, proper, simple, um, for the most part, French and Provençal cooking. It it reads like that. The intro reads like my grandmother going shopping. I mean, you know, she would go to the butcher and the grocer. And, and of course, in those days, they were all around on, on most high streets. But it also reminds me of the 70s, actually. It reminds me of Alice Waters. It reminds me of her going to France and seeing that and wanting that and taking it to America and creating the farm to fork revolution. I wonder if we've kind of come full circle or you've brought your Frenchness to the to to the, this very sort of simple offering through your book. What's the connection between the France that Alice Waters saw brought and and then you know people like Sally Clark and all of them brought to Britain and this book? Yeah, I I've never actually thought of it like that. It's it's brought a big smile and a grin to my face because um yeah, it's it's taken somebody else to actually to 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 see that in and and it's very absolutely one hundred percent true, um, but but and we take it for granted, and, you know, as a Frenchman, French family, uh, we actually do I think take it for granted that there is a a market there uh, on our doorstep and uh, in in the little village that I live, it's on a Thursday, and the village next door, it's on a Wednesday and then the, the 10 kilometers down the road it's on us on a Friday and, and so on and so forth so there's a, a a market village every day of the week and in my village there's a butcher uh, and two bakers and uh, you know and and it is it's just a little stroll down the road and you pick up wonderful ingredients and you cook what is there and what is in season um, and very very rarely do I 
wake up in the morning and think, okay, I'm going to cook this for lunch or this for dinner. It's a stroll to the market and I see what's there and then I cook it. Um, and I think that's, that is um, what Alice Waters discovered and saw and, and took to America. And it, it, it is the daily life uh, in uh, La Belle France, in, the, uh, in, in rural France. And increasingly so in Britain, really. Let's just stay with that idea of Alice Waters and, you know, all the people who went to Alice Waters' sort of world at that time. There was an awakening, wasn't there? I'm very interested in what it was and later what happened at La Gavroche, which awakened something that was already there in people. They loved it. What What is that? What was the ache? What was the gap that was being filled? Yes, you're right. I think it's probably a connection with nature. Um, I was fortunate to to dine with actually with Giselle many many moons ago um, at Alice Waters, and it, and it was just that. But I, it is a connection with nature, and you're quite rightly say as well that that we we seem to be coming full circle, and the UK is now you know sort of edging towards that market culture and market life. I mean, um, I mean, just where I live here in South London, there's a little. Um, uh, fishmonger that's opened up a, a few months ago. Um, good luck to him. Um, but it, but it's, it is tough. But, but it is nice to see that there are now more and more independents um, that are opening up and that are showcasing local produce. And that's how we should shop and that's how we should cook and eat. Let's go through the legacy of Le Gavroche. I mean, Jay Rayner said that its job is done. It was never just a restaurant. It was a school. Um, he says various establishments were vital to the food revolution in this country. And Le Gavroche is the big one, uh, largely because it trained so many amazing chefs. You know, we know that Roly Lee, Monica Galletti, Pierre Kaufman, Marco Pierre White, Gordon Ramsay, they all came out of those kitchens. But for you, looking back over what uh, your uncle and your father created way back then, what is do you agree with Jay or, or is it something else? Was it something, was it also filling another gap, a different gap? Yeah. I mean, I, I can't really, um, I, I can't really argue with Jay. I mean, on, on that, on that point, he's, you know, he's a hundred percent right. The uh, Le Gavroche was more than a restaurant. It was also a school and a, uh, a fin- not, not just a, a school for apprentices, but also a finishing school uh, for many, many chefs. And let's not forget front of house as well. Um, because many, many, you know, great sommeliers and, and maitre d's have, have managers ha, have, you know, come through the school of what was Le Gavroche. Um, yeah, it, it's, it will go down, I think, in history as one of the pioneers of, you know, gastronomy in the UK. It filled a gap at that particular time. And my father and uncle, um, always, always wanted to uh, inspire and teach and, and, you know, pass on their knowledge to the next generation, which um, I, you know, I, I, I have done in my, uh, and still continue to do in my career. Um, and so does Allah and the Waterside Inn. And it's, uh, you know, through various 
means, such as working with colleges or through the Rue Scholarship. I mean, the, the Albert and Michel were very commercial. They spotted a gap in the market. The London of the 1970s, the 60s that they were dining in, you know, they were both private chefs at that time, weren't they? And they, one of them was in France, one of them was in Kent. And they came to London to dine. Why? Who on earth would do that? But anyway, what they were doing, they were scouting out an opportunity, weren't they? They saw an opportunity there. Now, I wonder if they saw people around them going, God, I wish there wasn't such beige restaurants around here. I wonder, I wish there was something to eat. Or they actually thought, God, there is literally nothing here. What a great city. Let's do something. I mean, in the conversations that you've had as as you were growing up, I mean, what's the feeling from the family of that story? Mm, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, dad uh, first came to England or UK, actually. He went to Ireland first as I think back in the mid-50s and then late 50s, uh, again, just a short stint. Um, and, and I think he fell in love with the country and he fell in love with the, with the culture and, and the, or everything that, that may be British people take for granted. Uh, but it certainly wasn't the food, that's for sure. That is for sure. Um, nor the ingredients, because it really was you know, very, very poor. And, and the UK was still, or England, was still under um, uh, rations and uh, just coming out of, of the war. Um, but he loved the people, loved the pageantry, loved, loved everything. He just fell in love with it. And, uh, uh, and so that, and he wanted to come and work in England. And he managed to get a job through the, uh, the, the English embassy um, in Paris, uh, and uh, got this job in private house uh, in Kent at the Fairlawn Estate for the Caslett family, um, and um, and absolutely loved it. And his brother, my uncle, uh, had always said to to Dad, "Look, I'll follow you wherever you go." And the dream is one day to open a restaurant. So um, I think, well, Dad was the the first one to come here, and uh, shortly followed by by Uncle. And I think they probably did, you know, see that there was a massive gap in the market. And uh, and uh, Dad Dad was always the risk taker in business, um, and wanted to expand quickly and open the you know restaurants everywhere. Um, and Uncle was very cautious and. Uh, uh, tried to hold him back but but they worked so well together um there was a, a, a you know a, a love hate brotherly relationship they were at each other's throats very often but the, their love and their bond was was just unbelievable and of course it was so much more than food that they were bringing there was a wonderful sort of uh, it's about fashion, isn't it? It's about cool and it's about aspiration. And I wonder if your uncle and your father saw something in the Brits, which was much more uh, something they could manipulate, perhaps, uh, to, to create the, the stunningly successful business that they did. In that, I think perhaps, correct me if I'm wrong, but the British are more into aspiration, keeping up with the Joneses, uh, being seen in the right places. I wonder if they saw that opportunity, because that's certainly what Le Gavroche uh, came to represent, wasn't it? Part of it, anyway. Uh, that's yeah, that that's true. The, uh, the the British, yeah, keeping up with the Joneses and and you know, sort of peering over the the. The, the fence to see what your neighbor's doing what kind of lawnmower he's got oh i've got to get the the, the best one and you know a better one so yeah th- there's a little bit of that and and the french are certainly not like that um actually they're 
for the most part, um, the opposite. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, the Gavroche did become one of those. That's true. Aspirational um, to be able to come and dine at Le Gavroche was uh, uh, what was what a lot of people aspired to and would save up for, which is you know very very humbling. Whenever I used to do the rounds in the um, in the restaurant in the dining room and uh, meet people, meet and greet them, and uh, and to hear these wonderful stories of people that were saving up just for that occasion for a special uh, anniversary or you know birthday uh, and and that 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 really was is wonderful that always used to uh, make me smile and make me happy i remember when i was working at delicious magazine talking to karen barnes about that very thing because i came to interview you then for the delicious podcast and i said mm, bit posh for delicious perhaps and she said no absolutely not this is for people who really do spend two or three years saving up for something so special so yeah it, it wasn't just for the posh people but that was very much when you were at the helm let's talk about how Le Gavroche and how food in London in particular changed when you were running the ship immigration has changed the way that we eat in in Britain I think particularly in London and while you were uh, steering the, the Le Gavroche in the last sort of 20 years let's say um what did you notice about all the wonderful restaurants that were coming up around that were much more sort of diverse? And how did it influence what you were doing at Le Gavroche? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, over my tenure at Le Gavroche, the average age of the diner uh, really did come down. And um, I, I think that was due to a couple of things that I introduced almost immediately as I took over. And that was the uh, the uh, the tie rule that was very very strict. Uh, gentlemen had to wear a jacket and tie, uh, and and you know, the the dress code was very very strict. Um, and uh, so I, I I relaxed that, and then shortly after that I relaxed the jacket rule for gentlemen as well. Um, and uh, my my dad was in you know, absolute shock horror. He said, "You can't do this. This is the end. You know, Gavroche is going to die because of this." I said, "No, it isn't. It's going to actually." revive and and rejuvenate um and it did uh, and and it certainly did and it also brought in a younger crowd which was fantastic and uh, so I mean, yeah, when, when dad was at the helm i think the average age uh, was way way up in the 50s and 60s um, and uh, more recently i mean just before we closed i would say the average age was probably um in the high 30s or you know 40s which is you know, fantastic and that's you know and and it meant that there was a uh, a renewal of regular guests uh, because um, it, it was in in my, my father's tenure it, it was deemed as very 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 snooty um, and only for the you know the, uh, the the toffs or as it were and you know a certain couche uh, social and uh, which which I managed to sort of change and is that because people are eating out more often uh, that perhaps restaurants are not so much about aspiration anymore that there is a genuinely taste for the wide variety and what food represents to so many people i wonder what you're taking as a frenchman um to uh, of what food means to british people now Hundred mm, percent. I mean, the now, now I think going out for dinner is is seen as um, 
also a night out. I mean, it, it, it's a night out. It's not just sitting down for a meal. Um, and, uh, and, and so much pleasure can be taken from dining out. And, and there's such a varied choice. It's absolutely spectacular. I think it's wonderful. Uh, and I think that's where London actually trumps you know, a lot of big cities uh, in, uh, in, I'd say, Paris even, for example, because there is such a wonderful, varied choice um, and uh, at any price level. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I genuinely believe that, that London especially, and I'm talking about London because I live here uh, and I know London very well, it's spectacular. The dining scene is wonderful uh, and so varied and uh, uh, eclectic. Uh, so, that, you know, that has changed so much. And, uh, I, I, you know, Dad used to really, really enjoy seeing that. And he used to dine out regularly. I and mean, he wasn't so keen on, on you know, Eastern flavours or spice and things like that. I mean, his, his taste was fairly, fairly conservative and very French. Um, but he used to, you know, his eyes used to light up when he used to see all these restaurants opening up. And he used to think, it's wonderful, isn't it beautiful to see? And, and people enjoying themselves and, with, you know, filling their bellies with, with, uh, with you know, spectacular food. And uh, it doesn't have to be expensive as well. That's the thing. Exactly. But looking at your four food moments from your book... Um, they are pretty classic French, aren't they? Um, you know, if, uh, as a Londoner, a very French family, but you've lived in London all your life, haven't you? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, I was born here, born in Kent and raised in South London. Um, and obviously I've worked a lot, very, very extensively in France and all my family are French still. Uh, but I have dual nationality and um, I suppose I consider myself French when the French rugby team are winning and English when the England team are winning. So <laughs> very much on the fence. But in terms of your food moments, I mean, let's go through them. I mean, the omelette with mushrooms uh, sums up, I think, very perfectly what this book is about. It is beautifully cooked omelette with lots of flavour, but it's a very simple uh, recipe. But it is French. Is it? Tell me why you chose it of all the recipes in the book as an example of what you wanted to talk about with it. Yes, well, well, for me, an omelette is my idea of fast food I, i'm really not keen on uh, the high street fast food chains or any, any kind of you know that style of fast food uh, if i'm hungry uh, i will rustle up an omelet and omelets are great vehicles for anything even leftovers uh, they're nutritious they're so quick um and um and I, well I, I cut my teeth cooking omelets um at a restaurant called le pulbo in the city um, that my father and uncle used to have. So there was an omelette section or an omelette station, as it were. And uh, so you, you, you'd sell 20, 30 omelettes for lunch, all different fillings. And you had to really, really know know how to... Because it was lovely cast iron pans as well, not your new non-stick pans. So I know a thing or two about omelettes. So I just love them. Funnily enough, it was one of the very first things that we're taught to cook as part of the Leith's uh, Essentials course. I think it's the second module. Uh, who'd have thought? You know, first of all, you do your knife skills, then you're making omelettes. Um, and there is a particular way to make a perfect omelette. Um, you do it with mushrooms. Um, are you a forager? Yes, actually. At Christmas time, we went for a, a stroll uh, in the forest next to where uh, my village is. And we, we found some lovely, um, lovely mushrooms that we, you know, cleaned up and, uh, uh, and cooked them for dinner in the evening. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it, it is part of rural life in France anyway. And uh, we do enjoy it. We only pick the mushrooms that we 
are 100% sure that we, we know uh, are mushrooms, but also chestnuts. We go out and you know, get some chestnuts um, and uh, lots of different kinds of mushrooms and sometimes truffle hunting with a, one of our friends in the village that's got a, a very, very smart, cute little dog. Your second food moment, watercress soup. Again, incredibly simple, but with a twist. Tell us about this one. Yeah, so watercress soup was actually one of the first dishes that was on the original Le Gavroche menu. And you would think it's so simple, isn't it? It's a soup. But the way it's done is is particular because it stays vibrant and green. Uh, and it has that wonderful full flavor, pepperiness of watercress, which I love and Dad used to love too. But um, I've accompanied it with a piece of black pudding uh, and a poached egg on top. And I, and I think it becomes... Uh, something, yeah, I mean, it just becomes a, a full meal because you've got that lovely meatiness and uh, almost sweetness of the black pudding. Um, and uh, the the egg, as you break into it, just adds that lovely richness of yolk. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a meal in a bowl. It's, uh, it's interesting that you describe yourself and Giselle as flexitarians. Um, it's it's interesting the 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 introduction. It feels again like that full circle that we talked about at the beginning. Um, all the classics of French rural life, um, the very embodiment of of all things that we know to be French, but that have come to become British the way that the Brits eat as well. But flexitarianism is probably at the moment a little bit more how you would describe a British person rather than a French person. How's the, how, how's the flexitarianism going when, you, when you're back in France? Well, I, I, say I, I would argue that it's, uh, it's very French as well, um, especially uh, outside of the big cities. I think big cities, are uh, because you've got so much temptations there uh, to, to snack or to fast food, uh, and the French uh, <laughs> uh, are now becoming very, very uh, keen on fast food as well as the UK, uh, same, the same way as the UK and the rest of the world. Um, but if you live outside in the, uh, in the country, um, you definitely don't eat meat uh, at every meal. Uh, that is for sure. And sometimes skip it, um, you know, maybe, maybe not every day. Uh, so it's, um, yeah, I don't mind skipping or, or I, I don't miss it. Uh, and neither does uh, does Giselle um, miss eating meat. I mean, uh, and, I, and I would far rather forego um, than eating cheap um, industrial farmed uh, meat for sure. Um, I'd rather you know have a nice roast chicken on a Sunday, uh, and uh, and but it has to be a good one. And, and if I have to pay a little bit more for that chicken, so be it. But I I won't eat poor poorly raised or or badly raised um animals yeah and again that's again the full circle we know going back to my grandmother and the way that she ate there's no industrial meat at, at that time just wasn't available uh and now we have to literally not eat meat in order to to save up for the organic chicken on a, on a sunday um your third food moment is a roast vegetable tart tatin um something that we would absolutely associate with all things french um why did you choose this one as your third food moment? Um, well, it, well, it celebrates vegetable, um, which which we love in the family, and uh, you know, 
alluded to in the in the previous sort of question as well. I mean, that there are so many great vegetables that if you cook them properly, they they can be so fulfilling and so filling and uh, and you know wonderful to eat. And the tartata, great French classic, uh, normally with apples or pears, but um, why not with vegetables? And uh, it can be this particular tartata can be a meal on its own, uh, maybe just with a few bitter leaves uh, to offset the sweetness. Um, or it can be as an accompaniment, a slice of tartata, vegetable tartata with a, with a Sunday roast. Um, and, and it's just, it's just delicious. It is incredibly simple as well to make. Very versatile. You can put almost any kind of vegetables in there. Um, and, and you can spice it up as well with a bit of chili or whatever. It's just wonderful. It's an easy, you know, treat to, to be had. Well, I remember Marco Pierre White telling me about 30 years ago when I interviewed him at Harvey's that you can tell a great chef by his, never said her, ta-ta-ta. Um, so it, 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 and what do you think he meant by that? What, what is the secret to a great ta-ta-ta? Ingredients and patience. You can't rush it. It has, you need time to, to, to make a good ta-ta-ta. And whether you're doing a classic apple pear one, um, it, you need you need to take your time. You can't, you can't really rush a ta-ta-ta. Something else you can't rush. I made the wonderful, um, the Poussin red wine uh, earlier this week. And again, it reminded me of actually the way my mother used to, she was trained to, to, to um, cook at a cookery school in Norfolk somewhere, but she learned the French way. And it was all about taking each bit you know you fry off the the the, the chicken the poussin first and you you're, you're caramelizing the onions i mean all it is about sort of bringing out the flavor of each the, of the individual ingredients before you put it in for a, a good long slow oven um that's the key isn't it to getting great taste there's when you were just talking about fast food that is the big difference isn't it and we have developed a taste for that um, do you think that we'll ever stop really yearning for that gorgeous depth of flavour? Depth of flavour comes normally from low and slow and patience. Yes, indeed. Um, it's, uh, it's very, very fulfilling. Uh, and uh, and I, I love this time of the year, especially because it is it it, it lends itself to that kind of <clears throat> that kind of uh, cooking and style. Um, and, and those lovely rich sauces that you, you only get from low and slow cooking. There are so many recipes like that. I mean, the, the great classics, the beef bourguignon, the coq vin, which you were alluding to, and uh, uh, things like that. But um, it is, gosh, yeah, I'm just salivating. My tummy is rumbling just thinking about it. <laughs> what, what's for lunch? <laughs> So what is for lunch? What what will you cook for Giselle? Or what does Giselle cook for you? No, 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 no. I, I tend to do most of the cooking at home. Um, that's why she married me. She married a chef for a reason. Um, yeah, I don't know. Actually, I haven't even opened the fridge door, so I don't know what's in what's in the fridge. Um, and But it will be a very light lunch because I've got a busy afternoon. And that is something you talk about a lot as well. And you can see from the look of you, you know, you are very healthy. That's something else that has really changed. You know, fancy French food used to be something that 
you know, you'd put on a lot of weight. There'd be a lot of cream, a lot of butter. Um, I remember, again, asking Marco Pierre White to to give me a Mediterranean diet recipe. He told me where to go uh, because there was no way that he was not going to use cream and butter in anything that he used. But it came at a cost, isn't it? And the way that you cook now uh, is very different. It is it is healthy while full of flavour. I mean, how do you manage that? What are your feelings about the, 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 the full fat stuff? I love animal fats, love butter, love cream. Not as much as dad, though, bless him. Um, yeah, he, he, he certainly did uh, did go over the top on his uh, animal fats. And I think that, that, that was probably because he lived through the war and uh, uh, wanted, uh, you know, he, in those days, you, you couldn't have much animal fats. There was hardly any butter, hardly any cream. So uh, as soon as he could, he, he dived into it headfirst and, and wallowed in, in butter and cream. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, I, I hate um, zero fat or reduced fat ingredients. I think it's a waste of time and a waste of pleasure. Um, so, no, we should celebrate cream and, and animal fats and um, eat them, but part of a you know, balanced diet and, and definitely not shy away or run away from them. Um, I use a lot of butter in my cooking, but it, it's, it's not as much as my dad do. I think that's a generational thing as well. Uh, but I do love the, the Mediterranean diet too. My wife is from Provence and um, celebrate everything that is olive oil and everything that is, um, you know, from that region. Um, and, uh, you know, in her, well, in her parents' fridge, there was never, ever any butter or cream. Um, it was always cooking. Cooking was always around olive oil. Absolutely. Um, and there's plenty of cream in your final food moment, which is the blackberry and apple millefeuille. Uh, tell us why you decided this one had to be amongst your four food moments um well that's down to giselle uh, it's her favorite dessert the millefeuille uh, anything with puff pastry uh, she uh, absolutely adores uh, so yeah that's uh, that's a little nod and a wink to my dear wife um, and uh, yeah w- w- whenever whenever i'm thinking of rustling up a dessert for her um it, it, it normally involves puff pastries <laughs> the millefeuille for for giselle what are you two going to do with the rest of your lives i mean you know we could, we're looking at people living for a good old age and you you're a very healthy couple and you've got plenty of opportunities coming your way what, what do you want what's the what's the next 10 years hold for you um gosh well the, the closing of Le Gavroche is certainly um, um, opened up a little bit of time, uh, but most importantly, uh, the closing of Le Gavroche has uh, relieved me from, and Giselle obviously, from a lot of stress um, and a lot of responsibility because running a, a Michelin-starred restaurant is 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 stressful. It's very wearing. Um, and, um, you know, having 50 staff on the books as well, uh, and having to make sure that we generate enough cash to pay the bills, etc., etc., etc. And of course, you know, Michelin or the the reviews being able to make sure that every single plate of food is is to the level required and expected. So it is in in. So I suppose what I'm saying is is it's going to free up a little bit of time, but most importantly a huge weight off the shoulders. Um, and that's, you know, that, that is probably the most important thing. Um, and the mental health is, issues, uh, you know, is very, very important. Um, I've got lots of other stuff that I'm, I'm involved in, you know, and anything from 
going aboard the Queen Mary and the Queen Anne soon to be launched uh, and taking Le Gavroche at sea, which is something that I'm really looking forward to. Um, and then lots of other you know, residencies and pop-ups of taking Le Gavroche on the road, which is, uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to that. That's great fun. Um, and uh, being able to do other stuff, a little bit of fishing as well. I've got a few dates in the uh, in the diary as well, so I've got a, got a bit of catching up to do there. Oh, I'm looking after my grandkids as well, which is I'm very very much looking Exciting. forward to. Exciting and taking them to a, a Gavroche pop up. I love that again. This full circle, you know, supper clubs, pop ups. They're so London, aren't they? Tell me, what does a Gavroche pop up look like? <laughs> um, it's going to look like. Le Gavroche, for sure. There will be recognisable dishes there. Maybe the souffle suissesse will make an appearance. Uh, it did, actually, um, uh, just uh, in January, I, I uh, did a little pop-up with Emily in her restaurant, uh, Caractère in Notting Hill, and the souffle suissesse was on the menu, which um, which was wonderful to see it pop up again. So, yeah, it, it, that's what it's going to be like. It's going to be joyous, fun, uh, some recognisable dishes, maybe some special wines that we uh, haven't sold off um, at Le Gavroche. So we, we're holding back some of the great wines too. So it's, it's yeah, it, it, a far more relaxed affair. Thanks for listening. Do head to my Substack. That's juliesmith.substack.com for lots more content about cooking the books and my writing retreats and all things to do with cookbooks. And I'll see you next week.